Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Defenders of Grace. Hello, my fellow guard dogs. I guess you can tell already just by the sound of the voice that it's Steve speaking here today. Bill can't make it because of the cares of the world, really trying to do something for his father and his mother that needs to be done. And we should all pray for him if possible. If you have the time, pray for Bill that he accomplishes what he needs to do for his elderly mother and father and that he can come back to the podcast and have a clear mind and be able to podcast with me without the cares of the world weighing on him so heavily, Father. But I ask you guys to pray for Brother Bill and listen to today's podcast. Hopefully, the Lord will speak and the word will be good. What I want to ask you is what does it mean to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word? Do you remember Jesus saying those things in in Matthew chapter 7? He said, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word for a doer of the word is like somebody who built his foundation on the rock and the foundation was strong and the winds blew against it and the rain came down on it and it held up but a hearer of the word Jesus said is like a man who built his foundation on sand and the winds and the rains came and it fell and great was its fall. That's what Jesus said when he was describing a doer. He said a doer is like a man who built his house on the rock. Remember, Jesus in those days was speaking in parables so that as Matthew 13 says, seeing they would not see and hearing they would not hear and understanding they would not understand. Jesus was not speaking plainly to the crowd when he said to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. But I think we can get an understanding of what it means just merely by looking at other scriptures, scriptures in the apostles' writings, in the epistles. I believe they can describe definitively what a doer is because I I have to give you a testimony 
in my early Christian days, I thought a doer was somebody who does what he hears in the sermons each Sunday. You hear the Sunday sermon and you go and do that and get determined and muster up all of the willpower you have, but do it. Do what the preacher encouraged you to do or commanded you to do and told you that God would not be pleased with you if you didn't do what he was telling you to do. That is what I thought a doer was. And the trouble was that every week after hearing the Sunday sermon, I couldn't look in the mirror and tell myself that I measured up. I always felt, what would be the word when you're, I always felt less than an achiever in the area that the preacher picked to preach on. I was less than an achiever. I did not measure up. Week after week went by and I constantly felt like I did not measure up. Can you relate? I believe that there's plenty of guard dogs that can, especially the guard dogs that are like I was, trying just as hard as you possibly can to leave, to lead a righteous Christian life and to be pleasing to the people around you and pleasing to God who I was desperately trying to please. When I first became a Christian, it was aware to me that all my sins had been forgiven and that God was cool with me and it felt like heaven on earth. It's just a, a whole new concept, something I had never contemplated before, but the things, the thoughts that I was thinking were just awesome. They were like good, good fruit to me. I loved every thought that I had until I was told, now that you are a Christian, now that all this good stuff has happened for you, now we want you to be a doer and start doing the things that we tell you every Sunday. Put them on your list to do and let's get those tasks done. Be a doer. I felt like just a hearer of the word, a hearer of the word who was trying though. I wasn't listening to the sermon and then just blowing it off. I was really trying to, to, to do what I was told each Sunday. I was a hearer. Somehow it felt like I was more than just a hearer, but less than a doer. I still could not make a doer status. And you know why? It's because I was defining a doer incorrectly. And that is what I want to look at because I think we can see it clearly for what it is, even though Jesus was not speaking clearly when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he was 
laying down the new covenant way of life. And he was laying down the judicial system for this new covenant that we live in. And I was clueless. And even in Matthew chapter 7, he is laying a foundation for this new covenant. No wonder it didn't make sense. Because I didn't know that that's what he was trying to do. I thought he was just trying to tell people good things about being a Christian to, to a large crowd there on the mount, wherever that was, where the Sermon on the Mount was. But I didn't realize he was actually, I, I didn't realize that everything he spoke about from the beginning of Matthew till the end of John was laying down the parameters and the foundation and the judicial system and the pictures in the mental images that we were supposed to have for the new covenant. He was a man on a mission trying to tell us about this new covenant where the kingdom of God was right there with us and the kingdom of God was all around us and the kingdom of God was not a place far off in heaven, but it was actually right on earth. At one time, Jesus literally said, the kingdom of God is within you. What did that mean? The kingdom of God was within you. How do you put a whole giant kingdom inside of a person? That's like saying, how does a person go back in his mother's womb again to be born a second time? Both thoughts are just fantastic. The kingdom of God is within you. It means we have something to learn about the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you just briefly, an overview of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it was never about a place in the third heaven where God sits on a throne up there. The kingdom of God was not up there. The kingdom of God was always referring to a kingdom that was down here on earth. And the kingdom of God can be defined in three ways. The first way was the crowd that was around Jesus, that was known as the kingdom of God. Do you remember Jesus saying the kingdom of God is being entered and forceful men enter it? He was talking about the crowd of people that are around him and peaceful people forcefully entering it as in the people who tore a hole in the roof of a house and lowered a paralytic man into the house so that Jesus would heal him. They were forcefully entering the kingdom of God, which was the people around Jesus. The kingdom of God after Jesus left and went into the third heaven and came back in spiritual form was the church. The kingdom of God now is the church on earth. Wherever two or three people are gathered together, he's in our midst. 
and that makes up the kingdom. The kingdom is every church on every street where we all gather and get together in the spirit. The kingdom of God, like Jesus said, where two or three people are gathered, I'm in their midst. And that's what he meant by the kingdom of God is within you. If Jesus is within you, then there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is within you because in Romans 14, 17, it set, gives us another example of what the kingdom of God is, or I should say another definition of what the kingdom of God is. It says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you are in the Holy Spirit and not in your human nature, that word in the Holy Spirit has a specific meaning, is best brought out in Galatians 3, verse 3, where it says, Are you so foolish after beginning in the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain the goal in your human effort? In the Spirit is opposite to in your human effort. And there's a sense in which when you're in the Spirit, you are in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God being three sensations that you feel when you feel Jesus in you or when you feel the Spirit in you or when you feel God in you, you feel three sensations. Righteousness, peace, and joy, which are the opposite of anxiety, shame, and sadness. But those three sensation cause you to feel heaven on earth feeling those sensations even when you're changing a flat tire creates a feeling of heaven on earth when you're feeling jesus you are feeling heaven on earth you are feeling the kingdom of heaven right here on earth and that's what jesus was talking about always the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God refers to a kingdom that is down here on earth. Either the church, either the crowd that was with Jesus, either the feeling you get when Jesus is using you to be a vessel that he's working through you through, or the last definition is the kingdom of God is what comes down in the book of Revelation, and God starts the kingdom of God in a much more tangible way than he has started it by his invisible spirit working through people and causing the church to be the kingdom of God and everything. When he comes down in the book of Revelation, he comes down and it's a visible seeable, tangible kingdom of God with his spirit in control of everything and the lion will lay down with the lamb and the child can put his hand in the pit of the snake all because they don't have 
a snake's nature anymore. It's all controlled by God's nature. And the lion doesn't have the nature of a lion that will eat you. He'll be a lion that feeds off the tree of life. Those leaves, like everything else on the planet, will feed off of. We'll all be feeding off the leaves of the tree of life, and it must be awesome to do that. But those are the ways in which the kingdom of God are described. But as Jesus came down to earth to tell us about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and the goings on of that kingdom, he describes a doer, something that I thought I could never be. But in his illustration, he begins to enlighten us as to what a doer is. He says, a doer of the word is like a man who built his foundation on the rock. And we can look at 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul says, as a wise master builder, a builder of a house, he says, you have to be careful how you build on the house. You can build on it with wood, hay, and stubble or costly jewelry. But you must be careful how you build the house. And just like Jesus said, Paul also said, you have to build the foundation on Jesus Christ. Jesus said you have to build it on a rock and we found out from other passages that it turns out that Jesus is the rock. And in 1 Corinthians 3.10 and following, Paul just says it for what it is. He calls a spade a spade. He says, Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock that you build your house on as a wise master builder. Jesus is the rock that you build on it. And that's the way Jesus was describing the rock. But Jesus also mentioned a hearer and a doer. And James goes off on that idea. And he describes what a hearer is that Jesus says, don't be a hearer, but be a doer. Well, James in chapter 1, describes a hearer and a doer. And in chapter 1 of James, James says, prove yourself to be a doer and not just a hearer who deceives himself. That, that's starting off in James 1, 22, going through verse 25. He says, prove yourself to be a doer. Okay, this is what I always wanted to do. I wanted to be a doer. How do I prove that I am a doer? James, please tell me because I've always wanted to know this. I kept trying to prove that I was a doer, but I proved that I was a failure. Well, James describes in perfect detail. He says, Prove yourself to be a doer of the word and not 
a hearer of the word who deceives themselves. Then he goes on to say, a hearer of the word is like a man who looks at the face of his birth or some versions say his natural face is literally the face of his birth is what the Greek says. But James is saying he's looking at his natural man in the mirror. And once he does, he goes off and forgets what kind of man he was. What kind of man is the natural man. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it said the natural man doesn't receive the things of the word of God because he can't understand them, but the spiritual man does. And it goes on and on about the natural man, then the spiritual man, the natural man can't do it. The spiritual man can do it. The spiritual man can do it. The natural man can't do it. And then it takes us into chapter 3 where he says I wanted to call you spiritual men but I could only call you natural men well the natural man who looks in the mirror is looking at the man that Paul describes in Romans chapter 7 maybe starting in, in like verse 14 where he says the law is spiritual but I am human, sold into bondage to sin. I have a human nature and it's sold into bondage to sin. My human capabilities and my human determination and all that is in bondage to sin. And he goes on to say, remember, we're looking at the natural man in the mirror now, James is telling us. This is what the look at the natural man in the mirror looks like. He says, I'm in bondage to sin, naturally speaking. I do what I don't want to do. And I don't do the good that I will to do. But I do the very evil that I will not to do it. And I don't understand what is going on. But the evil that I do not will to do, this I do. And if it's me doing the evil that I do not will to do, it's no longer me, but it's sin that lives in me, in my natural man. And he goes on to say, I know that in my natural man, no good thing dwells. I think that's verse 22. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in my natural man, in this human man that James says, you look in the mirror at your human man, the face of your birth, the face of the natural man. Paul says, my natural man, no good thing dwells, not anything. That's why in Romans 3, it could say there's no one who's good. No, not one. Well, Paul says, in my human nature, there's nothing good in there. For the willing to do good is in me, but the doing of good is not in me. I can't do it. 
And then he goes on to say that sin dominates his will and causes him to embarrass himself over and over and over again till he finally cries out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That is a look at our natural man. We can't forget what the natural man looks like, James tells us. And as much as he wants to be a doer of the good, he's not. He's a failure at doing good. Even though he wills to do good, he cannot do the good that he wills to do. That is a look in the mirror at our natural man. But then James goes on to say, but the man who looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and abides in it, he is the effectual doer blessed in all he does. The man who looks at the perfect law that gives liberty, where is that perfect law? Does anybody write about it and tell us? Does anybody describe the perfect law that gives liberty? Yes, right back to Paul in Romans chapter 7 again. James chapter 1 and Romans chapter 7 are just parallel thoughts about the same subject. Paul in Romans 7 goes on to say in Romans 7.21, he begins to talk about this law of dynamics. It's, he says this principle or this law, and it's a small L. It's not the law, the Mosaic law. It's a different law. It's a law of dynamics. He, he says in verse 21, I find then this principle that evil is present in me, the one who wills to do good. I find in this principle, if you look at the side footnote, it literally says law. I find in this law with a small l. It's not a law that has jurisdiction over us, meaning it's not a judicial law, but it's a law that governs us like the law of gravity. It's a principle or a law. It's something that produces the same result every time it comes into play. If you drop a ball, it falls to the ground every time you drop the ball. That is a principle or a law. And Paul, just like James did, James said, the man who looks intently at this principle or this law of dynamics and abides in that principle, he has to abide. Remember, Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you. For if you don't abide in me, you won't bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, that's just like a principle too, abiding in the vine. Well, he says, abide in this law of dynamics that Brother Paul is talking about. 
and Paul goes on to describe it. He says, I find in this law that evil is present in me, the one who wills to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner being. But I see a different law of dynamics, a different principle. I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of dynamics of sin, the law of sin, the principle of sin which dominates my human nature. That's a principle. If you're in your human nature trying to please God, then the sin principle or the sin law of dynamics has its own certain outcome and you'll fail. It takes you prisoner and causes you to do what you don't want to do. That's why Paul ends up saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And then it goes on in Romans 8 to say the law small l law, the law of gravity or the principle, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law or the principle of sin and death. So the law principle of sin and death, sinning and feeling naked and ashamed, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from that. This is this perfect law of freedom that James is saying, the one who looks intently into that law of dynamics and abides in it, trusts in it, only uses it and not his human determination. The person who abides in in that law of dynamics as it's described as a law of dynamics he is the effectual doer blessed in all he does in Romans chapter 7 Paul gives two illustrations one is as sin as a law of dynamics that causes you to do what you don't want to do and the other one the other illustration he gives in Romans 7, he personifies sin as a master, a taskmaster who dominates you and make you not do what you want to do. But both illustrations are supposed to cause you to realize that in your own human capabilities, sin or the law principle of sin the sin master guy, however you want to describe it, dominates you and causes you to embarrass yourself. And this is the mystery that was hidden for thousands of years. Why do I behave like I do? Why do I let myself down? Well, this law of dynamics or this sin master whoops me and makes me do what I don't want to do. That is the discovery of the of all centuries, the discovery of all centuries. There's never been a bigger discovery in the history of this planet called Earth. The 
the discovery that leads me to know why I fail as a Christian and why Israel failed as a Christian and why God made a new covenant with Israel because in their own human strength, they could not lick their propensity for sin. They were not a doer in their own human nature. And that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and James and Paul define all the terms for us. But Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount just said, be a doer and not a hearer. Well, James and Paul define what a doer and a hearer is. A hearer is somebody that forgets that he's not a doer. That's why Jesus said a doer is like somebody who laid his foundation on the rock. Remember Paul saying, as a wise master builder, I tell you to be careful how you build your house. You can't lay a foundation other than Christ. Well, he says that there's going to be a fire that day, the day of judgment, the white throne judgment as it's known. And the fire will burn up each person's work. It will test each person's, let me say it like this, it will test what each person has done throughout their lifetime and it will produce gold if what they have done has been done by Christ through them and not their own human strength. What they've done in their own human strength will not make it through the fire. And Jesus is going to tell us that even after he already gave us the hint that the foundation is Jesus. If you don't build your house on that, you're not a doer. Well, it goes on. There's more clues that Jesus is giving us in the Sermon on the Mount, and I think we should look at them. Let's start in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, where Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Remember Jesus said, apart from me, you can't bear fruit. So abide in me and you'll bear fruit. You'll know whether they're abiding in Jesus or not. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut off and thrown in the fire, so you will know them by their fruit. There he's saying that, just like Paul said, there's no good thing that dwells in me, 
the willing to do good is in me, but the doing of good is not. In Romans 3.10 says, there is none who does good, no, not one. And Jesus saying to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? Only God is good. There's no such thing as John is a good person and Joe isn't a good person. They have all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3. So, you, you see, I used to think this verse was saying that Joe bears good fruit and Jim does not bear good fruit. And it's not saying that at all. It, it's saying that my human nature can't bear good fruit and the spirit only bears good fruit. The human nature only bears bad fruit even as hard as it tries to bear good fruit, even as willing as it is to bear good fruit. Paul said the willing to bear good fruit is in me, but the doing of bearing good fruit is not. You, you see, it all ties together. It's all trying to tell us the same thing, but Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount is telling us how to be a doer, and he's saying you don't become a doer in your own human nature because a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Then he goes on to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Well, that sounds like if I don't do God's will, I, I can't get in the kingdom of God. I'm not a, a doer again. Now I'm all confused again. But look at what the last half of the sentence says. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Wait a second. They were doers big time. Didn't they say, didn't we do in your name? Didn't we prophesy? I've never in my life prophesied. I've never in my life healed anybody. I haven't done any miracles. That would really keep me from being a doer. But these guys said they did those things. So those were doers big time. But Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. So they were wrong to think that they had done it. No, it had to be Christ in them doing it. You have to build a foundation on the rock. The rock is Jesus. Jesus is the doer. So they were wrong, even though they were so confidently saying, hey, we did all these things for you. We did miracles from you. We doered miracles from you. Can't say it any other way, but they were wrong. Then he gets into the illustration, anyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them, even though he just told those people who did the best ones of all, the miracles and the prophesy and the casting out of demons, they did the best, best dues that could be done. And he said, depart from me. 
then he gives the illustration of building the foundation on the rock because you see at the great white throne judgment only what Jesus does through you lays up treasures in heaven but here's the thing in James chapter 2 say verse 12 it says speak and act as those who will be judged by this small L, this law of dynamics, who will be judged by the perfect law that gives freedom, that there's a judicial system to it. What does he mean by that? In John chapter 3, it says those who practice the truth. It, it means you're practicing the truth. What is the truth? You didn't do these miracles and prophesy in Jesus' name for Jesus. He did them through you. That would be the truth. That's why it says those who practice the truth come to the light so it may be clearly seen that was done through them was done by God. It was God through them. That's why they come to the light because the light is going to expose that it was God who did it through them, and that's what they had been saying all their lives. All their lives they've been saying, no, it's not me, but it's God. They've been practicing the truth or speaking and acting like someone who will be judged by the perfect law that gives freedom. Look at what Jesus says earlier in this most famous Sermon on the Mount. Remember where he's showing us the judicial system and laying down the parameters for the new covenant. We can see that just like a term of art, he has changed the definition of a doer from somebody who does what he's told to somebody who relies on the spirit to do what he's told. Well, in this new covenant, he gives some of these illustrations. He says, in chapter 6 of Matthew, starting in, in verse 16, whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you that they have their reward in full. They're taking credit for the fasting, and they have their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not be seen as fasting by men, but by the Father who in secret, your Father who sees in secret, will repay you. And do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroyed and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at what he says here. When you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. 
And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say, they have their reward in heaven. They weren't storing up treasures in heaven. They were getting rewards right here on the earth. That pat on the back and people talking about them and their bragging rights was their reward. And that's not what we as Christians do. We practice the truth. We say, no, it wasn't us. It was God in us. That's why in John it could say, let your light shine so that people will glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Remember, Jesus is the light of the world. Remember where it said, nobody hides the light under the bed, but he brings it out and puts it on a light light stand so that the whole room will be lit up. Well, nobody hides Jesus and doesn't acknowledge him as the person doing the good through you, but they speak and act as those who will be judged by the perfect law that gives freedom. They practice the truth, and the truth of the matter is, is it's Jesus through you doing all the things for you. That is the gist of the new covenant. God said, I'll make a new covenant with men and I will put them, my spirit in them and cause them to walk in my statutes. And nobody will have to say, experience God for from the greatest to the least, they will all see God. We, we have the ability to see God speaking and doing things through the people around us once we've been turned on to the idea or our eyes have been enlightened. We can see the activity of God, but a lot of it depends on understanding what a doer is. And a doer is somebody that God works through. It's God doing the doing through you and you give God the credit for doing the doing. It's just that simple. But unless we know that when somebody, when we do good, that it's God through us, and when they say, you've done good, we say, no, it's not me, but it's the Father doing the doing through me. He is the doer, you guys. I'm not the doer. He is the doer. That is practicing the truth, and that's what stores you up treasures in heaven. It's a whole new covenant. It's a covenant whereby he puts his spirit in us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, and then we give him the credit for what he's done, and that stores us up treasures in heaven. It's just that simple. The covenant is that simple, and I hope that God has spoken through me and made the covenant so simple to you that you'll never forget what the new covenant is because there are so many things that you hear on the radio and on TV that contradict the simplicity of that new covenant and complement, complicate the dog out of it that is just not funny. 
you want to say you could laugh. It's laughable, but it's not. It's not funny at all because there's people like me that thought they weren't measuring up as a doer, and I was caught in the shackles of legalism, and I felt like a wretched man with no way out. I couldn't get myself not to feel wretched. I was literally depressed, clinically depressed, because I would look at my behavior every day and know that it doesn't measure up. It never will. I wasn't supposed to be the one with the burden of measuring up. That's why he went to the third heaven and came back down in spiritual form to live in me and to do for me what I can't do for myself. And if I'll just give him the credit, I actually store up treasures in heaven also. Just a benefit from doing the right thing. And there's not that much to the right thing. Just... Tell the truth. Say it's God doing it through me. It's not me. I wasn't. I didn't sit at home last night and and hit my head on the wall and just get myself motivated and determined to to walk righteously today. I just walked righteously today because God was in me doing it for me, and He made it simple and easy because I didn't have the burden. That's why I said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is light, my yoke is easy. It's easy just to say, God did it through me. How much easier does it get than that? That's how simple this new covenant is. And if you understand this new covenant, you can begin to see God and the kingdom of God all around you. It's everywhere. It's so active and it's so wide, high, long, and deep all across this whole planet. It's everywhere doing everything, feeding the poor and helping the homeless and on and on and on. The kingdom of God goes and you can see it. You can see the big, beautiful buildings of people having God work through them. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing once your eyes have begun to see things for what they really are. This gospel can literally take the blinders off your eyes and you can see the activity of God moving on earth. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing, amazing book that tells you how to see God and you can see him. You really can trust me. I've learned to do it. Oh, I just pray so much that you guys can get a a revelation of this new covenant and what it is and what Jesus was saying because this whole New Testament and all the epistles and all, it all harmonizes so perfectly and it explains itself and it brings out these beautiful, beautiful pictures of what you do and all those pictures give you the ability to see and feel God each and every day. Did you know he's working through you each and every day and that he's working through the people around you? And you didn't notice him. You overlooked it. Well, you don't have to overlook it anymore. You can see it for what it is. And Lord, I pray that you'd give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and open the eyes of their hearts 
and allow them to see what they've never seen before, Father. Allow them to accept your truth, the truth of your gospel and your new covenant, Father, and learn to abide in that new covenant and in that new covenant way of life, this way of life that Paul taught, said he taught everywhere in every church, a way of life in Christ Jesus, Father. Allow them to realize that way of life in Christ Jesus and that it's all about him working through us as vessels. That's what the whole covenant is about. That's why he came back down to earth. That's why it says in Ephesians, he is accomplishing God's eternal purpose. That's why it says in Philippians, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion, Father. Allow them to realize that that means God who entered them has got a plan that he is going to accomplish through all the guardians of grace. And they all get an A for the day because Jesus will accomplish everything that God has set for Jesus to do through each and every guardian out there. That's why Paul said, I can be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on. Confident. We all have that confidence if we understand the new covenant and about him living through us and we can see him, Father. We can know when to fellowship him. That's what First John, the whole letter, is about. How to tell when you're fellowshipping with the Spirit or when you're fellowshipping with the hum human nature. It's a whole book devoted to one thought. How to tell when to fellowship and make your joy complete. Father God, I want you to show them all these things the things that you showed me, Father. It's in your Son's name that I ask that you do these miracles for, these modern-day miracles, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. I love you guys. Always have, always will. Love you guys. Good night.